Hello, this is the Hunter Street Chronicle, and I'm Colin Chapika. Welcome back, everybody. Summer has officially arrived. We are we are in the spirit of freedom. Peterborough is thriving. There's music everywhere. Everybody's home from school. Old friends, new friends. The high school kids are finally out. Life is open. To be completely honest, summertime always intimidated me. There's something about a huge expanse of time that seems to just scare the living shit out of me and it it always was tough for me to kind of take it easy and relax because I'm slowly but surely realizing that relaxation is a process that really does require a lot of energy. So if you're feeling a little antsy, it's probably just because of the humidity. It's driving me crazy too. So just take a couple deep breaths and hold them in and that actually, uh, if you take a deep breath in through your nose into your diaphragm, I've learned that that's actually not just bullshit. It activates something uh, at the bottom of your spinal cord, which releases a signal to your brain that says, you know, maybe you should relax a little bit. There's lots to talk about this week. Um, I'm trying to make sense of this whole Brexit thing, um, and I'm going to take a stab at trying to explain that in a little bit. But frankly, I'm enjoying the relative lack of tragedy in the news. Some upcoming shows, uh, tonight actually, uh, we have the Kents, who are from Lindsay, Caulfield from Peterborough, and some out-of-towners, Lost Cousins, will be playing at The Spill. Doors are at 9, and music starts at 10, so $7 at the door, and it should be a damn good time. As well as Kiefer Sutherland is playing the Peterborough Music Fest. Again, I just want to thank any of my faithful listeners and anyone listening right now. Um, Your feedback is much, much appreciated. A lot of people seem to be listening to this thing, and I'm really enjoying that and enjoying the conversation that's coming out of it. But seriously, get in touch with me. We can have some fun. I'm really looking into having some guests, but everyone's really busy right now, so I'm, I'm... being a little bit a little bit lazy with this thing and I've been putting myself under a little bit of pressure but I always seem to get things done better when I'm on a deadline so that's why I'm recording this and editing it and doing pretty much everything last minute but hey if anybody knows me they know last minute is the best minute Today on the show, like I said, we're going to try and cover the whole Brexit situation, and I apologize, there is a long rant that starts with the whole Brexit thing and then ends up turning into some crazy, crazy social justice rant, so I I apologize if that one goes on forever, but I I managed to get out a lot, a lot of opinions and and kind of thoughts that have been spiraling through my mind in the last couple of months out there and hopefully a little bit more clearly on the table, so stay tuned for that. Now, the first thing I want to talk about is is healthcare in Canada. Um, and I was on my way into work, not thinking about anything at all, when my perspective on Canadian healthcare was shifted drastically. Um, it's assumed that Canadian citizens will have free access to healthcare. Uh, it was put in the Charter of Rights and Freedoms, and it's something that we do seriously pride ourselves on, especially in comparison to the ridiculous and scary stories we hear coming out of the United States and people paying thousands upon thousands of dollars for health care that they weren't necessarily expecting to pay for, and I've since learned that Ontario is falling victim to the same thing. Now, in order to qualify for the free health care, you must be insured, um, and that usually comes from your benefits through work, or if you're a university student, I know a lot of schools are providing benefits and health care and insurance for that 
for their students. However, if you're not working full-time and you don't have benefits and you're not in school, there is OHIP, uh, which is the Ontario government's provincial form of providing insurance for healthcare. Um, and I've since learned that there is a huge need for revision in OHIP, as the, a lot of people are finding that they're going into the hospitals, getting treatment, and coming out with bills that are thousands and thousands of dollars. Um, I ran into a group called the OHIP for All, which is a campaign to push for universal health insurance and to reduce the restrictions and limitations um, when applying for provincial insurance for health care. I read the story about a woman who was moving to Canada for the sole purpose of having access to free health care, um, and she was told by the Ontario government that it was going to take three months to insure her under health care, and she was having a baby, which would be due in one month. So she was expected to have the baby uninsured and be it was on the hook for close to $12,000 of medical expenses and, and was expected to pay that off out of her own pocket. And now that's that that flies right in the face of, of the Canadian healthcare system. It's it's disgusting that, that we are being blindsided and told one thing and when in reality, when we seek treatment, it's the other. I mean, I shouldn't be complaining considering it's only $3 that I have to pay when I pick up a prescription versus the $12,000 this poor woman had to pay for having a baby. Um, and pretty much OHIP for All is a campaign raising awareness about this problem. And and frankly, the there, there are certain populations that are affected disproportionately by this. And it's often immigrants coming from another country or people who don't have access to benefits through work or school. And it, frankly, that's just targeting an already vulnerable demographic. And, and it's about time that we try and change this. And that's why I was really stoked to see these people in front of Peterborough Square on my way to work. You can find more information about this issue on, on the group's website, ohipforall.ca, and there's an open letter on there that you can sign and share with your friends to garner some support to hopefully see some change in the healthcare system in Ontario, because frankly, it's not fair for people to be blindsided by the government promoting and, and priding themselves on a free healthcare system when in actuality they're making a ton of money off of people who are, are not insured. All right, so let's 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 do this. Let's take a stab at it. I I really don't know why I decided to talk about this week, but frankly, it seems to be a really crazy and confusing thing that's going on internationally and does will have a ripple effect that I'm sure I'm sure that we don't actually know the scale of. And frankly, that is the British exit of the EU or should I say Brexit, which has been all over the media. First things first, we're going to talk about the European Union, um, because I just want to clarify a few things before we really get too far into this. Um, the European Union consists of 28 member states, or 28 different countries. It was formed officially in 1958, which was post-World War II, um, and, and I, it was originally discussed in around 1945, where Britain was sort of taking the charge on leading Western Europe into the future. Um, the Union is, is just a collective 
group of countries that has a system of laws that applies to all its members. Uh, so, for instance, in terms of free trade and travel across any European country, the idea is they're all governed by the same set of rules, and there's a sense of, of universality and a, a general idea of everybody knows what laws to adhere, adhere to and what not to. Um, it was a really important thing for jobs uh, since every, a lot of places in Europe, especially Western Europe, are so so damn close together. It's really easy and doesn't take a lot of time to travel from one country to another. So, so the idea is if you are a member of an EU nation, you can travel without limitation, restriction, or or necessary a lot of documents like like a passport from country to country, and that frankly just makes it easier to find jobs all over the place. Um, um, and, and the EU permits a worker's visa, uh, so, so the idea is that someone living, for instance, in Britain could travel to France or another EU nation and, and work there without being penalized for living out of country. So basically, the EU is, is a big group of countries in Europe who just have legally decided to get along and make trade and travel and working in different countries that are all so close together a little bit easier. Um, so it sounds like a really nice thing. So... So it, it seems a little confusing and almost like it came out of nowhere that the UK decided to leave the EU. But like every, every group, every time you're working with someone or a group of people, there are lots of problems. And frankly, the, the biggest one that people were complaining about was that employment is at an all-time low within EU nations. And, and some people criticize that the euro is, is, a, is a financial deficit because the exchange rates and the interest rates going into the euro, which is the common and the general accepted currency, in EU nations, uh, they find that when exchanging their own currency for it, they find that they're losing some money. Uh, but I, I couldn't find a lot, a lot of complaints about that, um, except for I was really just trying to pinpoint why, why the UK all of a sudden pulled up its bootstraps and gave the EU the big middle finger. And frankly, it, it seemed like it came out of nowhere. Because, um, like I said, in 1945, Britain was, was the leading force in uniting all these nations of Europe. Um, and, and it seems to be that due to a failing of a a failing economy, which we're seeing worldwide, that a dichotomy of opinion towards the EU began to form. On one side, we have we have a group of people who wish to leave the EU, um, and they identified that the main problem uh, and the main reason that they should consider it was that there is a lack of jobs. Um, the idea that the EU uh, puts up a lot of red tape for domestic businesses, uh, like in, like tea, fees or taxes that they have have to be paid to the EU, kind of like uh, a workers' union where you do pay and you pay your dues to be a part of the group, and then you can take back what you need. Um, and, and a lot of opposers to the EU say that those fees, restrictions, and dues were costing the people in the UK a lot of money, and that removing them would free up a lot of money for local businesses and economy growth. What, what they really pushed was that withdrawal from, from the EU would leave more money for job creation locally, and that the biggest benefit 
beneficiaries of of an EU separation would be medium-sized businesses. Um, the idea being that without all these taxes and fees or whatever going to the EU, they could then spend that on their own infrastructure. Um, and, and here, that, that seems like a little weak argument, and that was about all the information I could find uh, on that one. And then, all of a sudden, I came across this one, which is disguised as an economic argument, but takes form in something completely different. Um, and it goes something along the lines of the people who really don't want to be a part of the EU, and, and there's a, a driving force of authority figures who seem to blame the economic downfall of, of the UK within the EU on immigrants. Um, and this is an issue we've heard time and time again. The complaint being that immigrants, especially within the EU, who have free travel to and fro from the UK, the idea is that these people are coming in and taking our jobs and, and therefore leaving the EU would leave more jobs for UK citizens. Um, and, and it's arguably this point that really drove the the UK separation from the EU into the spotlight. Of course, there's an opposite side to the issue, um, and there was a large group of people um, who thought that leaving the EU could have been extremely detrimental to the UK economy, and frankly, the, the, the opinions seemed to be split almost 50-50 leading up to the referendum that took place last week. It seemed as if there was an equal amount of people in the UK who wanted to leave as well as stay, and now the people who wanted to stay were arguing that millions of jobs could be lost if, if the UK were to leave the EU because the EU is one of UK's largest trading partners as well as the free travel is beneficial to the economy. Um, all, all of the, the UK's economic forecasts were based on immigrant work and taxes coming from those workers. Um, and the idea is, is that there's, if there's more people working, there's more taxes you can charge and therefore more money can come back to the public services. Plus, the EU provides millions of pounds, um, and that being the currency in the UK, millions of pounds of subs subsidies to the UK uh, for infrastructure and public services and all kinds of things. And all of these, of course, would be lost if the UK decided to leave. So you, you can see that tensions were beginning to boil within the last five years over this issue to stay, to leave, who's to blame for economic failings, but, but what really set it off? Current Prime Minister of the UK, David Cameron, um, in 2015 campaigned on the idea um, which was well supported by people going through economically tough times to renegotiate an EU membership with the promise of an eventual referendum, and a referendum is pretty much a vote done on a special issue that's brought up. So, for instance, in Canada, one of the last referendums we had was on whether or not uh, Quebec should separate from the country, and that came pretty close. But it's the idea of putting putting a popular opinion out to the people for, in this case, to stay or to leave, and having them vote on it versus legislation making a decision for everybody. Um, now, Cameron was really adamant about this idea and campaigned the shit out of this idea. Um, and when, when he came into power when he was in power and when they were going into the election, he really emphasized this, that, that despite immigrant workers being extremely beneficial to the economy, it was time that we take this country back and give workers to quote-unquote air quotes, local domestic UK citizens. Now, this, this whole proposition
opposition was shot down by the opposition during the election. But once David Cameron seized the majority government in 2015, he was able to pass on this campaign without much opposition. Um, Cameron discussed that he wanted changes to the EU agreement. And after months and months of conversation with EU officials, uh, there came to be some sort of almost symbolic agreement between the two, uh, even though despite there was no fundamental change, there was a lot of little things that were tweaked, and the UK kind of went in asking for a lot of special privi- privileges. Um, and this is one of the biggest subtle changes that happened. Cameron requested from the EU that one of the special privileges allowed was that that the UK would be excluded from the scope of those free movement rights included in the European Union, and that third country nationals who had no prior lawful residence in a member state before marrying a union citizen, um, the idea is they wanted to make it easier for member states to deport EU members or nationals or citizens for public policy or public security reasons. Now, wait. This is something that I've heard before, and I know it it rings a bell for a lot of listeners out there. Cameron, David Cameron, wanted to limit immigration as well as have more power in in his decision and his government's power to deport citizens based on security reasons. And that brings us to the word of the day. So instead of ranting and raving about Brexit for too long, I've done my best to give you a quick rundown of the ideas. We all know how it turned out. The the UK has since left the EU, and that leaves a lot of questions for people living in the UK. However, I want to talk about something a little bit to the side of the whole Brexit issue. However, it is directly connected to what went down, and that brings us to today's word of the day, which is xenophobia. Xenophobia is described as the intense or irrational dislike or fear of people from other countries. Now, this is something I hate to admit that we are all too familiar with, both in the United States, in the UK, as well as even here in Canada. Uh, During our last election, the best example, or one of the best examples we can provide, is Harper using the kneecap and the banning of the kneecap as a wedge issue to garner a lot of support from, frankly, terrible people who use their prejudice and discrimination against other people to form an uneducated opinion. Uh, We see this time and time again. Every time Donald Trump gets on TV and talks about how how Mexicans are the ones, the biggest threats to the American economy and that we need to build a wall and the latest manifestation of this horrible belief, I believe, comes from David Cameron and the idea that he used immigrants coming in and allegedly stealing people's jobs as an issue to promote his own agenda. And frankly, it's the human condition to villainize the other or the unknown. We have made huge progress as a general population to stop ourselves from doing that, but it still happens and it's an active process and you just have to stop it in your own brain. However, time and time and time and time and time and time and time again, we are seeing, I am seeing people using this agenda, which is often disguised as economics or financial benefits, and really it just boils down to the fact that white men don't want other people coming into their country. The problem with xenophobia is that 
it's eerily motivating. I mean, I, I, I did my best not to dig too far into this one, but obviously Hitler used xenophobia in, in his in his reign to eliminate the the Jewish person as as even considered to be human and created this image of a monster, this non-humanistic villain, and was therefore able to to convince the masses to commit some serious atrocities. Um, and it's it's easy to see how motivating this this discrimination is because Donald Trump would not be where he is unless there was something inherently in a lot of people that that kind of agree with these fear-mongering statements. Uh, and xenophobia is often, often, so often disguised as an economic issue. It, the false tale of how immigrants stealing local jobs and how massive immigration leads to a lack of security and how a lack of background checks leads to a next 9-11 and that the idea that enemy aliens are living among us, it's like we're talking about communism again in the Cold War, that we're terrified of ISIS and Islam and that we need to call them radical and the idea that these people exist in a different place on the earth that we do look a little bit different than we do and that is enough to motivate an entire nation, in this case, in the UK's case, an entire nation to make a decision that they weren't necessarily certain on. The media is reporting hundreds of people who voted in this referendum to leave and then after looked it up and saw what it actually meant and found out that what they did was possibly a huge mistake and and a lot of people have reported that if they could redo the vote they would and they would do it again and and that they would vote to stay and frankly it's terrifying how quickly this agenda came in took over the opinion the the popular opinion of so many people 51.8 percent of the uk citizens and therefore the xenophobia idea was able to manifest and the uk has now made a very serious decision based on this weirdly unlogical and irrational fear of people from another country. And frankly, the only people I've, I've really started to take notice saying these things are, and this is, this is something, a term that means so much but so little to me, are straight white men. And frankly, it, it's so hard for me to kind of talk about this honestly because I feel myself wanting to bite my own tongue when talking about this stuff. But frankly, xenophobes are men and they're white men who just deny that they're being discriminatory and shift this idea into statements that allegedly promote prosperity and security. Often, perpetrators of xenophobia share a common trait, and like I said, that is being white and being male. And it just takes a quick look back at history to know, to see that all the laws and all the institutions were created by white men, not for anybody else, who are now the majority of everybody. White men are not the majority, but we're still acting like it, and it results in these terrifying ideals that manifest into way more than what they should be allowed to. Uh, the idea that, uh, the fact that an economic issue is based on some weird, outdated, and unproven idea that immigrants are directly responsible for the lack of employment and the economic status of the UK is just bullshit. And it's so hard to draw that conclusion. And, and like, it, it's comparable to a conspiracy theory. And yet, we still 
don't see a huge resistance to these statements. And like I said, in the UK, we see a lot of people supporting it. And the thing is about it all, and, and for me to bring up the straight white male card, is something that I've just started to learn for myself. And the idea that, that any, any government, or, or the United States government, the Canadian government, the British government, was created by white men who wanted to promote their interests primarily and the rest could go fuck themselves pretty much and we still see the this this powerful powerful discrimination that that is at the root of all of our culture resonate and wreak havoc on the 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 vulnerable parties be it women be it people of color be it a non-visible minority these people uh, people like me, white men, uh, have, have done such a good job at subconsciously implanting a way of life and certain expectations into people that, that it manifests in the most terrifying and confusing ways possible. Like, for instance, in Canada, if you are relatively left-wing, we all know who the best leader is, and that's Elizabeth May. Frankly, we all know she's the most admirable, most respectful, and frankly, probably the best leader out of the bunch, yet she is still yet to see a, a ton of success in her election campaign, despite being labeled numerous times as one of the most confident politicians to ever live, and I frankly, I hate to say it, but I think it boils down to one issue that we as white men have yet to get over, which is the fact that she has a vagina, not a penis, and frankly, under current conditions, she will never see success because of that fact, and that's something that needs to change. And frankly, even I, I don't know how we get to this point from Brexit, but the idea of being the people in power who, who are spewing these bullshit rhetorics about immigrants and uh, how they are taking our jobs and uh, how that the other is so dangerous and that we need to hold together and be proud of what we've got when uh, that's so easy for me to accept as a white male I can only imagine how a female or, or a black person or a person of a non-visible minority would feel when when pretty much the institutions are built to oppress them this 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 general hatred towards the other also manifests uh, is manifesting disgustingly in the US election and this is where the rant is going to get long and a little heated it's Trump versus Hillary. We know that at this point. It hasn't been officially decided, but it will be very soon. And for me, I just I I hesitate to talk to anybody about this because it's a clear it's a clear path for for me, I can see it clearly that Hillary is obviously going to win. Like there is no if ands or buts about it. Hillary Clinton will be our next president. And whenever I say that to someone, I, I meet resistance for for the reason that Trump seems to be given a hell of a lot more credit than he actually deserves. It's being made out to seem like this is going to be a tight race. Now, I really have tried to rack my brains about why why this 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 idea of Trump and Hillary and Mrs. Clinton, I should say, be being so head to head and it's 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 I think it's frankly because Donald Trump 
is is being assumed to come out of the dirt and rise into a positive light versus Hillary Clinton is only expected to fail. And I cannot seem to find any reason to back that idea up other than the fact that he has a penis and she doesn't. And frankly, I do not think it is fair or just or honest to, to say that it's going to be a close race because we there's no way in hell anyone should vote for Trump. There's no way in hell. And Hillary should be the very clear choice. But I think this is a perfectly clear example of, of white men always having the advantage over women because the races were built for white men to win. They were not built for women to win. And putting all of Hillary's bullshit aside, putting her FBI scandal aside, Clinton's political role has been ignored fundamentally. She has years of experience in politics. Her husband, again, and that's the thing, I find myself comparing her to her husband, which is part of the problem. The idea is that Hillary Clinton has committed her life to politics and that whole experience of her being Secretary of State, of being so very much involved in the U.S. political scene is ignored, where Donald Trump's history, his experience, his lack of political experience seems to give him an advantage or a benefit because everyone is labeling him as a self-made man and Hillary is at disadvantage because frankly, she's always going to be compared to her husband and she's always going to be compared to someone who has a penis. If I was a U.S. citizen, and I know this is not a popular opinion, I would vote for Hillary Clinton primarily because she's a female. Now, I know this causes a knee-jerk reaction, especially from white men, because suddenly the females have power, and I know no one who objects to Hillary Clinton being president is going to agree with that, but subconsciously, there is something about Hillary that is preventing a lot of people from throwing their support behind her. Um, and frankly, I don't think it's wrong to vote for Hillary primarily because she's a woman. Because we, a lot of people, voted for Obama for the idea, for the fact, for, for, the, for the celebration of the idea that we had made so much progress that we would finally see an African-American president in office. And frankly, why isn't there that enthusiasm around Hillary being the first female president? Because frankly, what Obama did being the first African-American president for black civil rights was outstanding. He was one to give voice and authority and credibility to the Black Lives Matter movement. We have seen an insane amount of progress in an insanely short amount of time about a civil rights issue that has taken hundreds of years for the United States to figure out. And frankly, this has yet to happen for women. Despite thinking that voting for Hillary based on her gender is, 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 the, is a waste of a vote or inconsiderate of the issues, it's fundamentally critical to the United States and women's rights all over the world, with abortion still a hugely disputed issue between human rights advocates and, and, and a, the people with a set of opinions of outdated beliefs that still hold way too much influence in a society where we are making progress every day to empower people and to 
to, to give people the options and access to opportunity that they need. And frankly, you just need to look at the difference of experience of, of a man buying birth control and the public shaming and strenuous embarrassment, embarrassing process that women have to go through to access legal birth control. And frankly, if you disagree that women's rights and the oppression of women are not enough to justify voting for Clinton, or if anyone tells you that, I just want to say, notice what point of the gender spectrum they, are, they fall on. They look a lot like the people telling us immigrants, not the Leo, that, that, that the immigrants are the problem and not the current economic policy. It's people like David Cameron. It's people like Donald Trump. It's people like Stephen Harper. Look, Hillary being president could do a lot of good for women fundamentally across North America. And if anyone tells you that you are not allowed to form an opinion based on Hillary Clinton's gender, then frankly, it, it, it's just a perfect, clear example of our culture's extreme hesitation to let the other become one of us. Well, I don't have too much to say more about Hillary Clinton or xenophobia or Brexit um, other than we just let's be aware. Let's take a second to digest information and really examine it objectively before we start forming an opinion on someone. Look, I, I know Hillary Clinton is being observed and investigated for for a possible criminal activity while she was member of state and that has to do with sending emails from a private email account versus the public United States government email account but putting that aside for a second let's look at things as they are Hillary Clinton is the clear choice in comparison to Trump so let's stop taking Trump seriously let's stop talking about how Trump could be president because, frankly, it shouldn't even be a viable option and I think only is based on our culture's understanding and blatant oppression to people who are not from the white male race. Well, so I feel all cooked up and warm and maybe that's just the humidity and maybe that's just me being passionate and feeling a little embarrassed about talking about straight white men and being one of them. Anyway, thank you for anybody who listened to this. I have lots of fun doing this. Again, still feels a little weird for me, but I, 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 the feedback has been positive enough that I feel confident enough to keep going. Thanks, everybody. Uh, get in touch with me. Comment, share. Um, I'm working on putting this up on iTunes in the iTunes podcast feed. Running into problems there. And for anybody who's been having problems with the SoundCloud link, I'm going to do my best to put these up on YouTube as well, because therefore, that way we could hopefully get some more access, because I know some people were having problems accessing it. Uh, I'm going to leave you with a track from, again, one of my local favorite bands, and they're called The Letterheads. Um, and they're the really cool indie rock groove rock band who are coming out with a lot of cool reggae and all of a uh, genre redefining stuff and they they play frequently in Peterborough uh they, they've been doing a lot of work a few of them have been up in Ottawa at Carleton just hammering out some songs and they are working on some new material uh which I'm super super excited for uh, so again this is the letterheads a track called Common Breeze which is a fuck ton of fun and I hope everybody enjoys it you know what 
Thanks again, everybody, for listening. Just remember, you're exactly where you need to be. And now, Common Breeze by the Letterheads. Thanks, everybody. Your dreams it takes If only you had time to waste All you've ever needed is love To show you what it could have been The day it wears and tears you thin well All you've ever needed is love But you feel it down right to the bone Cause with love you'll never be alone Coming breeze through the maple trees Makes you feel like it's not hard to believe The time is now, it's time for him Your life has yet to begin Take the trip that you see fit Live your life you mustn't regret Whoa, oh, oh, whoa, oh, oh You'll never be alone The calming breeze through the maple trees Makes you feel like it's not hard to believe Your life has yet to begin